Welcome to How to Catholic with Kevin and Lisa Cotter, a podcast dedicated to helping you practically live your Catholic faith with excellence. Advent is a time of preparation, a time to think about the past and why God needed to send us a Savior. On the podcast today, we'll begin part one of a three-part series on salvation history as we do our adult Advent Jesse tree. To begin our series, we will be discussing most of Genesis today as we look at the lives of Adam, Noah, and Abraham and learn how they paved the way for a Savior. Along the way, we'll be applying their lessons to our own lives today. You won't want to miss it, so stay right here. It's beginning to look a lot like Advent. Of course. What else did you think I was going to say? Halloween. There's purple and pink in the air. Yes, and on our tree. And on our tree. It's a very exciting time. That's right. And it is an exciting time to do a, our first three-part series on our adult Jesse tree, going through salvation <laughs> history. This is going to be really fun. It is going to be really fun. Yes. And I do want to point out before we dive in. Yeah. That there's a couple things. Um, one, we do have a podcast on how to Advent. So if you're looking for something on the liturgical season, how do we prepare for Christmas? How do we enter into the season of Advent? You can check that out. It's in season one. And we got an awesome email from a listener about uh, kind of a follow-up idea to our last episode on how to gifts. And it's so good that I just wanted to read it and share it with y'all. So this is from Angie. She says, our family set three rules this year for gift giving. It either has to be handmade, preferably made by yourself, thrifted, because we love thrift stores, or fair trade. And she said she just ordered something from the Starfish Project. If you're not familiar with Starfish Project, you got to go look them up. We've talked about them on the podcast before. She says, it's really changing how I looked at gift giving, and it's going to make it less stressful with fewer gifts, but way more meaningful. I just thought that was such a great idea and such a good follow-up to what we talked about last episode on how to gifts. Um, I just thought it was super creative. So if you're still figuring out how are you going to do family gifts, maybe you could implement some more rules as opposed to just here's the list, pick something that you like. But by kind of making some parameters, it might make it easier to pick out a meaningful gift. So that was really cool. And the other thing Angie um, passed on, and we're, yeah, we're going to honor her little um, request here. Uh, we had talked about... How on Etsy? Oh boy, no one told us how to say Etsy, no so we're still we've we've moved another episode and yet still don't know what that website's really <laughs> called. Etsy, Etsy, please, someone tell us. We don't know how to use search engines or <laughs> anything. Clearly, um, she has a shop as well as a website, littlecharmers.net, and she has Catholic Vintage Jewelry on her site, and she offered a 10% discount to our listeners. So if you go to her site, littlecharmers.net, or if you go to her Etsy site, you can get a 10% discount by putting in the code ADVENT, and that's all capital ADVENT. So thank you for offering that, Angie, and thank you for your great suggestion for gift giving. It's great. Another highlight. We don't have this section, but we just keep doing more and more highlights. It's great. Mm-hmm, there we true. go. All right. So, Kevin, we're going to dive into salvation history here. 
And uh, I want to point out that this is going to be a very quick skim through. We're doing three episodes. Skim the surface. Mm -hmm. Which gives us an hour and a half, which seems like a lot of time. But uh, it's not for covering all of salvation history. Mm -hmm. So... So don't expect, we're not going to go into these like deep, deep academic conversations about it. Really what we want to do is we want to give you this picture of from Adam to Jesus, kind of like threading along what happens. How do we get from here to there? And then we're going to stop at some of the highlights and talk Mm -hmm. about how those apply to us. How do they apply to Jesus? Um, How does the Old Testament foreshadow the New Testament? Those things. But if you're looking for some great academic treaties, like go get a Scott Houghton book, because that's not going to be what we're going to have time for. Yep. So it's going to be a great threaded overview to help you put a lot of stories into place and make a lot of connections to understand what we mean. So Kevin, could you describe for us what exactly is salvation history for those who are not familiar with that term? Sure. Yeah. I'd say salvation history is God's story throughout scripture that helps us understand how he brought us to a place where we can have eternal life. So really seeing how God's plan unfolds all the way from Adam and Eve through Jesus and even on to us today. How do we actually live out this story? And um, like you said, I think this is going to be really fun because we're going to be able to take snapshots of each one of these as we go through. And it's almost like take a string and have those snapshots beyond those string and look at them. Just kind of this overview to see how has God brought us from the very beginning all the way to Jesus, which is very pertinent for Advent. And how does that relate to us today? How do we still, how are we still living out that salvation history as well? Right. So like we said, it's going to take three episodes. So you're not going to get the full picture today. You'll have to uh, come back for parts two and part three. And we're kind of biting off. This is kind of a challenge. So I'm excited to see how this is going to go because we're really pushing ourselves here to do this. Um, but but I think it's so important because when we study history, it helps us understand how we got to where we are today. And I think particularly with Advent, how we got to the point of Jesus. Um, and it's so great. I love the Mark Twain quote. History doesn't repeat itself but it sure does rhyme. And so the things that happen in scripture, the things that happen to the Jewish people and to the Israelites and in the New Testament, all those things we can see reverberate in our own lives today. And so as we look back at this story, as we see how we got to the point where Jesus had to come uh, and, and save us to this Christmas moment and then see that in our own lives as well, it's going to be worth it, Lisa. It's going to be great. Oh, it will. I am in no doubt of that. Ready to start at the beginning? I think so. Okay, so like I said, some of this stuff we're going to skim through. So in the beginning, God created the world. We all know the creation story. We don't need to spend time on that. And then we have at the end of creation, this culmination, we have Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. Mm -hmm. And God creates them. And one thing we're going to point out here are the covenants, because there are six major covenants. It's debatable, yeah, but people usually say six. Oh, okay. Cool. We don't have time for that debate here, but yes. <laughs> we don't have time for that debate. Yeah, so the first covenant that's made here is with this first man and Eve, and it's a covenant between God and his people. And a covenant is a little different than a contract. Mm-hmm. So a contract is like an exchange of goods, whereas a covenant is more an exchange of persons. Yeah, so the easiest way to think about it is like marriage, right? In marriage, you actually give yourself to another person, and at the end of it, you call them family, right? It's not like, hey, I will serve you as husband, Lisa, and you will serve me as wife. But it's more so we give each other. It's like we're actually one body. We're actually exchanged persons. And we're actually one family. Um, you know, yeah. yeah. We Our two families actually combine in that way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it goes beyond simple 
goods mm-hmm. and services. So right here from the onset, we see that God's desire, deepest desire, is to be with his people, to be with Adam and Eve, who he created. And so he creates this covenant with them. So Kevin, do you want to maybe explain a little bit about this covenant? Yeah, I mean, I think with this one, and as we see with the covenants, they grow in size as we go. And so God starts off with just one couple. And a part of that covenant, as you mentioned, is this relationship between God and human beings. So it's a special moment, just like if you think of like a marriage, uh, where where God is binding himself to mankind and saying, I want to be in a relationship with you. And so with Adam and Eve, God has this covenant with them to say, great, be from you, I'm going to have and show this relationship to the whole world because you're the first man and woman. And so from you, this relationship between man and God is going to start and continue through time. And we'll see how that covenant evolves as we go through the story. Great. And so one cool thing is you can trace the bloodline of Jesus all the way back to Adam. So we're going to go kind of in order as we go along here showing that bloodline thread. So we've got Adam and Eve, and they have three kids, which most of us are familiar with, Cain and Abel. And we Mm -hmm. all know that Cain kills Abel. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. He gets in trouble for that gets kicked out of the garden. Um, and Adam and Eve themselves at this point have gotten kicked out of the garden because they've eaten of the apple. These are all stories we're very familiar with. Um, so we're not going to spend a ton of time on them. Um, but then their third child that they have is Seth. And it is from Seth, from his descendants, that Noah is born. So Seth, and then there's a couple generations. And then we get to Noah, which is another story that we're all likely familiar with. We've got the flood, and they go in the ark, and the animals come in two by two. And for some reason, we think this is an adorable thing to share with our children when everybody in the world gets killed, and and we put up pictures. But of there's animals, books. Lisa. Gosh darn it. <laughs> there's right. animals, and kids and animals are cute. And so we put them together because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So... Noah, then after the flood, we get this this rainbow, new covenant. That's right. And, and Noah's kind of a recreation of Adam. So Adam and Eve had this relationship with God. And in, in Noah, in Genesis 9, we get to see kind of this recreation as the world goes into chaos, just like it went into chaos with, came out of chaos with creation. God brings out of this chaos of the flood into order and into this relationship. And basically God's saying, great, we tried to bless the whole world with Adam and Eve, right from the beginning, we had murder, you know, obviously original sin and then murder between Cain and Abel. Um, and the, and the world eventually becomes corrupt. Like the reason why Noah's chosen is because he is the only like non-corrupt person in his generation. The world's just really into sin. Um, so, so yeah, God reestablishes that and says, great. Well, through your family, we tried one couple and now we're going to through one family, this relationship so that I can again establish my relationship with the world going forth from you. Yeah, because he, he wipes out the world pretty much. <laughs> so now we have this this almost like a, yeah, it's a new creation, which we see over and over again throughout the Old Testament, this idea of kind of this uh, creation beginning again and again, like a, a new creation as he establishes new covenants and trying to fix this problem of sin. Yep. Because God wants to be with us. Yep. That's what he's after this whole time, this whole salvation history is he's just trying to figure out I want to be with you. How can I be with you? You are my people. Yep. All right. So Noah, um, there's some great stories in there that um, we don't share with the children um, that include um, incest and such. Um, so Noah, he has some sons himself, uh, Japheth, Ham, and Shem. And Ham, his descendants, just to kind of help you see where these stories fit in. Because sometimes we know these stories, but we don't 
know exactly how they fit into the picture. So Ham's descendants, they're the ones who build the Tower of Babel. And they're the ones who want to try to build a tower so they can get up to God, right? And of course, it doesn't work. And their languages are all jumbled up because of this sin. And the people are scattered. And the ironic part is they're, they're trying to make a name for themselves, which is actually Shem. So Ham's brother's Shem, his name means name. Yeah, they named him name. So like he has a <laughs> he has a great yeah. name, but again we see right away just like can enable this rivalry between the brothers for Ham and Shem. Shem has this great like is named you're gonna be named great. And Ham's like, Well, I'll compete with you, like I'm gonna try to make a name for myself, right? So we, again we see that competition really uh has some bad consequences. Yes. So Ham's son or Ham, Noah's son, Ham doesn't do so well. Nope. He kind of um, sins, goes off the bad path already right away. And God's like, oh, we just started over. Great. Yep. But Shem is faithful. Shem is the faithful descendant of um, Noah. And so he's the one who Abraham descends from. So we follow the bloodline. We go from Shem. So from Noah to Shem. And then Shem's descendants from Shem's descendants is who uh, is born Abram, who later becomes Abraham. So same person. Yeah. Yeah. So Abraham is... Um, out in the world, not in the promised land yet. And God calls him out of Ur, which is in Mesopotamia. And he says, okay, I have a promised land set up for you and I'm going to send you there. Yep. Yeah. So Genesis 12, one through three, if you ever like, I want to understand Abraham or even I want to understand the old Testament. A lot of it's wrapped up in Genesis one through 12, one through three. And basically what God does is he calls Abraham uh, to go to a land that he will show him, even though Abraham's very old, or Abram, I should say, at this point in time. He basically makes him three promises. He promises him land, what we'd later known as the promised land. He he uh, promises him uh, kingship, so what we um, would understand as, you know, them having uh, a king. And then he promises him a worldwide blessing that through Abraham and through Abraham's descendants, he would bless the whole world. So as we kind of see this... Um, relationship that God has, first he tries to provide this covenant through Adam and Eve for the whole world. Then he tries to provide it through Noah and his family for the whole world. And then basically he says, all right, I'm going to take you, Abram, and your tribe, and through this tribe, which eventually is going to become this nation, that's how I'm going to try to bless the whole world. I'm going to get really specific. And that's where we get basically the Jewish nation or the Israelites. And that's where we think of, we think of the Jews as God's chosen people and that, that whole idea behind that. That's where it starts with Abraham. We really don't have the Jewish or the Israelite people until that moment before God is trying to give a blessing to everyone. Everyone is the chosen people. But then God says, those first two attempts did not work. So we're going to pick out Abram and his family. And through that nation, we're going to then try to bless the whole world. Yes. Yeah, so we've got Abraham, so he's been, or Abram at this point still, and he's been called out um, to go to this new land where he's going to establish all of this that mm-hmm. God has promised him. And um, again, just trying to fill in some of those story gaps for you. One of our famous stories that everybody loves is Sodom and Gomorrah. It is a fan favorite. <laughs> everybody knows it. Um, so that's where this story kind of comes in, um, just to fill in this gap for you here. So we've got Lot, who is a nephew of Abraham, and he goes with him to this promised land. And eventually, um, there's a series of events. They they end up um, in famine, so they go to Egypt for a while, and they come back, and they're they've got all this all these sh- sheep, and 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 they're growing, and so they don't fit in the same area anymore. So Lot goes off, and he 
goes to kind of establish his own um, family in his own area, and he chooses Sodom. And Sodom eventually becomes really corrupt, and so uh, we know the story of the angel comes to visit Abraham and says he's going to go on and destroy Sodom, which he does. And this is that famous story where Sodom, you know, and fire and brimstone's coming down on it, and Lot and his family are running away, and Lot's wife turns around to look, and she turns into a pillar of salt. So that's where this story kind of fits in, um, one of those famous stories. Okay, so back to Abraham. So Abraham now, Lot's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's done his own thing. And Abraham is in the land after he's had to leave to go to Egypt because of famine. He's come back. He's there. And God makes a new covenant with him. Yeah, and so, you know, as I mentioned, those three promises in Genesis 12 that help structure uh, the Old Testament, but also just Abraham's life. And so that's where... God's made these promises to him, but each one of those promises, again, they're for land, kingship, and worldwide blessing, each one of those promises is going to be elevated to a covenant. And so God's going to have these moments with Abraham where he's going to swear, Abraham, this is going to happen. I don't want to just promise to you. I know I'm God and I'm promising and you can probably trust my word, but I'm going to go farther. I'm going to up my promise to a covenant, which is more binding himself. He's swearing by it. He's, he's like, this is going to happen or else something is going to happen to me. That's what you do in a covenant. You're basically saying, I'm putting my life on the line for you. And so in Genesis 15, that's where he's going to have this covenant with, with Abram and say, you are going to have land. I'm, going to, I'm promising you that and I'm going even beyond that promise to a covenant as well. Great. So Abraham and Sarah continue on in their life, and and there's kind of this this thing that's bothering them, which makes sense, is God said to them, like, yep, you're going to have this this nation, and you're going to have, you know, all these people, and they, ha- they don't have any kids. And they're so, really old, by the way. I don't yes. know how well we mentioned that, but yeah, they're advanced in years. Yes. So they're old. They're getting nervous. So Abraham does what any reasonable person would do. <laughs> Tongue in cheek. Tongue in cheek. He says, hey, um, well, actually, it's Sarah, his wife, who says, hey, um, obviously, this isn't working. We're not getting pregnant. So why don't you sleep with my concubine, Hagar? And that way you can have a descendant because, like, I'm not getting pregnant here and we need descendants in order for this promise to come into fulfillment. So that's what he does. So he sleeps with his concubine, Hagar, and they have a son together by the name of Ishmael. Yeah. And just a little tip to the fellows out there. As we're trying to understand salvage history, as it relates to our life, if your wife ever tells you to do what Sarah told Abraham to do, don't do it. It's not a good idea. Yes, this is <laughs> not a good idea. Because then she gets really mad about it. Yeah, and like, she does. Yeah, and Sarah, later Sarah does get upset about Ishmael. Um, but it's after it's after um, Ishmael's born that God then establishes a second covenant yep. to fulfill one of the promises. Yeah, and again, that second promise is for kingship, so that one day, one of Abraham's sons, descendants, I should say, would be a king. If you think about it, you're like, yeah, of course, like, we know there's right people, but Abraham's just like a guy living in a tribe of people. He's like, I'm going to make you and your descendants, like, have kings. Like, that's how important that you're going to be. So it's a pretty amazing promise, and he elevates that, again, to a covenant to show him how serious is about this co- mm-hmm. this this promise. And that's later fulfilled in the Davidic dynasty in David. And, that's right. And so we see that um, come to fruition later. And we'll see the, the the one with land in Genesis 15 fulfilled with Moses coming into the land with, yeah, ultimately with Joshua. That's right. Yep. Yep. Okay. So Ishmael grows up and he's a, he's a teenager at this point. And another angel comes to Abraham and Sarah and they tell them that, okay, finally you're going to have this baby Isaac. 
Mm-hmm. And so Isaac is finally born and Sarah, who, you know, said, hey, go have this baby with Hagar now doesn't like this baby, Ishmael. Yep. Doesn't like Hagar because now she's got her own descendant, so they're not of need of her, need to her and Abraham anymore, really. So she basically tells Abraham, "Hey, send them away. Tell them to go off into the wilderness." And and so Abraham listens and sends them away. Um, and the interesting thing about Ishmael to know is that Ishmael is to the Muslim religion. He is the firstborn of Abraham, and that's really who they honor much more than Isaac. And so he's considered a patriarch of. Um, of the Muslims and a forefather of Muhammad and um, Ishmael goes on to have 12 sons um, just like we'll see Isaac does. Um, and, um, or Jacob, Jacob yeah. sorry. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, Good catch. And uh, so, so he's very much a part of, of the Muslim um, tradition. Um, and this is really kind of the first place where there's like a big part in ways in terms of the old Testament history between the Muslims and the Christians. That's right. Okay, so then we know Isaac, um, Abraham's son, then the second son, who's um, now the only son, really, in the eyes of Abraham. Um, And God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, which is another story we're familiar with, but the meaning of it is incredibly rich and deep. Yeah, and I think we've been, uh, I mean, alluding this to the whole time, but ultimately, I, I love the Abraham narrative because what the whole narrative is about, and we've even, there's some really huge stories that we love uh, as far as good application points, but the whole the whole narrative in a lot of senses, does Abraham have faith in God, even when it seems like he shouldn't, or that it's really difficult to throughout the entire experience, whether it's him being old and not having any children, and God saying you're going to have all these descendants, or whether it's about him having land or kings or a worldwide blessing, all these things, particularly without descendants, just seem so far off. Like, how do I trust in a God? when I can't see these things, right? And these, all these moments where Abraham's got to trust and, and Abraham does trust, but not fully. Like he, he, he's like, yes, I will go to the land. But then later on he sleeps with Hagar. Like there's just constant battle. And I think it's so good for our own hearts because for many of us who are Catholics, we're Christians, we believe in God. We've made a, a testament of faith and we can even point to things in our life and say, oh yeah, that's when I trusted him. Oh yeah, when I moved there, I didn't know what I was doing, but I felt like God called me. Like we have those moments where we can point to and say, I've trusted in God. But just like Abraham, we can also find moments in our life where like, yeah, but only to a certain extent. Like I trusted him with that big thing, but like these things in my life, I don't trust with. Like I trust him in moving that place, but not with who my spouse would be or whatever it might be in your own life, you know? And so this all comes a culmination, really. God's, you know, given Isaac to Abraham and Sarah and so Abraham's like, great, like it happened. I have a descendant. He's a son. Like this whole thing works. And then God says like, but will you put this on the line too? You know, like, will you sacrifice your son? And, and St. Paul even says like, Abraham's willing to do it because he knows that God is so faithful that he'll resurrect his son. Like he's so, he gets to a point where like, he just has to believe and trust in God so much um, in the goodness of God throughout all this. Um but that's, that's our lives in a sense too of like so hard to actually trust in God. Um, and obviously I don't think any of us are going to face what Abraham had to face to that extent. But I think that that is just so poignant in my own life of, yeah, I've trusted God, but like how much am I really going to trust him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what's amazing here too is like Kevin said at the beginning, history, you know, doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Um, is that 
That's a Mark Twain quote, yeah? Yeah, it's Mark Twain quote. Okay, I yeah. got it right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scott Hahn has a version of that too. He's like, the Old Testament doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Or something like that. I feel like Han, I feel like I got it from Han, but yeah, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we see here um, in a lot of these, you know, great figures of the Old Testament, immense parallels between these characters and they're kind of like a prototype of Jesus. And so we see here this story of Isaac and Abraham um, or like a, a, it's kind of a future um, pointing towards of Christ. Um, so Kevin, can you talk a little bit on that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really huge point for the um, Advent Jesse tree is just this idea that we're studying the old Testament to understand how we got to the point we were and how, why we needed a savior so badly. I think that's really huge but also understand how God did that in amazing ways. And I think this is a moment that we can really see that, um, the parallels between Isaac and Jesus. So, um, you know, the story of Isaac is, and Abraham, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his, his one and only son. You know, he rides a donkey to the, to the mountain of the sacrifice. You know, Isaac's carrying wood to the top of this mountain. Um, one point in time, the, the, the ram who sacrificed is caught in thorns. Um, you know, Isaac is... You know, we think Isaac's probably teenagers, so he's actually agreeing to to carry, to actually carry the sacrifice, uh, and, and maybe to be a willing uh, participant there as well. And so, a lot of these things we see with Jesus as well. So, um, you know, Jesus is God's only son, just like Isaac was, or Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem, just like um, Abraham and Isaac rode a, a donkey, or Jesus carries wood up to a top of a mountain. Um, Jesus is willing a victim of sacrifice. So all these different parallels, but the one that really gets me is just understanding where Isaac's potential sacrifice took place in this place called Mount Moriah. And um, on that, on that mountain, when Isaac's not sacrificed, God swears by himself. This is our third covenant here for worldwide blessing. He says, I promise you, I swear by myself in covenantal language that you will be a worldwide blessing. And um, it was outside this, um, this town called Salem, and God said, I will provide. And so, Yeru means God will provide, and Salem. And so, they put these two words together, and it's ultimately Jerusalem. And they named this town Jerusalem because they said, this is the place where God has promised to fulfill his covenant, that he swears by himself, that he will put his very self on the line to make sure it happens that the Jewish people provide a worldwide covenant. And so, on this series of mountains outside of Jerusalem is where God made that promise. And this city, that symbolism of that promise, that's also where Jesus comes out of Jerusalem, out of the place where God said, the city that marks where God will provide. And on this mountain ridge of where God would provide, Jesus imitates Isaac and ultimately provides that sacrifice to provide that worldwide blessing for us. And so that's those are the moments of salvation history where you can see it's not just this series of events or one thing after another, but God is actually orchestrating a plan all throughout salvation history to bring about eternal life for us in just really amazing ways. You're so good at that. Thank you. I married a very smart man in case you couldn't tell. So, okay, let's do a little recap because this is where we're going to stop for today because we're going to do two more on this and we've already made it to Abraham, which is, you know, through Genesis. (laughs) Doing really well, right? We haven't even gotten to Exodus. <laughs> but the good news is we've already gotten through, you know, three of the major people with covenants. Mm-hmm. So we, we've done Adam, we've done Noah, and we've done Abraham. Mm-hmm. So we're trucking along, but I'm really excited for, I think that's the, those are the parts that a lot of people know. I think 
one of the things that's exciting for both of us recently is just really understanding more and more about kind of those in-between points, you know? So we're going to look at Moses and David. Again, those, those are more familiar, but then how do we get from them to Jesus? That's where it's a little bit more hazy, but I think that's where it's going to get, mm-hmm. continue to be lots of fun. Previews of coming attractions. That's as, right. As my professor, Dr. Gizek, always said. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time he said that in class, I could buy a really nice coffee probably. Um, so yes, so this is where we are going to leave off for today, but we want to, of course, leave you with a how-to challenge. We wouldn't want to forget. No. And you know what we didn't do in all of this? We forgot to do a saint quote to live by. Um, yep. We did. I was trying to think of one off the top of my head. <laughs> I've got one. Okay. Yeah. Just give me. I'll seconds. give the challenge and then you can give that. How's that? Okay. So our how-to challenge for today. Um, and we'll just edit out all this side talk, right? We can do that really easily. No. They'll never know all I'm these things. I'm too lazy things. to edit okay. out. Yep. We don't right. do any yep. editing. Mm-hmm. In case you were wondering, we never edit the podcast. It's just what you hear is what you get. That's right. So, okay. How-to challenge. In light of what Kevin was talking about, um, our challenge to you is to think about what it is that you hold on really tight to, just like Abraham held on really tight to Isaac, um, but then was willing to say, Lord, I will give it to you if that's what you desire. So what is it in your life that you know that you hold on to that really you need to offer to the Lord and let him do something with it? Now, he could say, okay, thank you for offering it to me. It's yours to keep. But he mm-hmm. might say, actually, no, I want this. This is something that that is not leaning towards your goodness, not leaning towards your happiness. It's not my plan for you. And I actually do want to take this from you. Yep. So pray about it. Is that a relationship, a friendship or a dating relationship? Is it um, some kind of an addiction maybe? Is it, uh, if it's an addiction, God probably does want to take it from you. Um, is it a habit? Like what is it? But be bold in offering to God that thing that you hold on to and give him the freedom to either allow you to keep it or to say, no, I'm going to take it away. So that is our challenge for this week. Yeah. That's fantastic. Jacques Philippe always says God asks for everything, but he doesn't always take everything. And so it's, I think it's even just a moment of sacrifice to just say, Lord, I don't want to give this to you. And I don't know if you will, but I'm willing to offer that to you. Mm-hmm. It's really great. And it transitions really well into our St. Quotes to live by. And this week we have it from St. Therese. And she says this, she says, I do not want to be a saint by halves. I'm not afraid to suffer for you. I fear only one thing, to keep my own will. And so as we're just thinking about what we need to offer up to God, you know, St. Therese is just so poignant here of, I, you know, I do not want to be a saint by halves. I have to be a saint, and that means giving my all, giving everything to him. So it's fantastic. Fantastic. All right, well, that was our show for today. Thanks again for listening in. If you want to connect with us, our email is hello at made to magnify.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kevin R. Cotter or Lisa Ann Cotter and with no E. As always, if you enjoy this show, please give it a rating on iTunes, add it to your podcast subscriptions, and tell a friend. This helps us get some word out about how to Catholic. Until next time, be saints. It's worth it.